Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I, oh, you guys, I'm telling you, I have such a great guest for you this week. She's been on the show before when her first book uh, had just come out, Eat, Pray, FML. And if you enjoyed that book, if you even think you might enjoy that book, go read it. If you've read it, read it again, and then jump into her second book, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. I am a few chapters into this book. Uh, it's kind of interesting because when I called Gabrielle to do the interview, I said, uh, well, you know, of course, I haven't read your book yet. I'm waiting for the audiobook to come out. And she said it was just approved like 10 minutes ago. So uh, as soon as we got off the phone, of course, uh, I waited like an hour and then I ordered it. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm a few chapters in. She reads it like she did the first one. Y you really just feel like she's sitting at the table with you or you guys are just kicking back on the couch, having a conversation with a couple glasses of wine, and she's just telling you what happened. It's very connective. You know, it's not like a lot of books, even when they're read by the author, even when it's a personal story, you uh, you kind of just feel like you're listening to them tell it. But here you kind of feel like, you know, the lights are just down so low that you can't see her, but that she's there with you. It's a really unique experience. Her first book was the same way. Second one started off just the same. Uh, I, I love it. So I highly recommend either version, whatever you're more comfortable with. But personally, I like when an author reads their own story. And Gabrielle has such a great reading voice. She puts great inflection into it. It's like she's living it as she's telling you. So uh, check out whichever version is uh, is your preference. Both are available through Amazon. The audiobook is also available through Audible. And all the links are going to be in the show notes. Now, before I bring Gabrielle on, a quick update on what's going on with me. I have done something I wasn't sure I would ever do again. I joined a band. I am now the recording drummer for the band Era Patches. If you guys remember, I did some interviews with them over the summer for their album Water Dog. And Jerry got in touch with me and he said, hey, would you be interested in recording drums on a song on our next album? And I said, I would love to. So he sent me over the song. I did the drums. He liked him. He said, would you be interested in doing another song? And I said, well, of course I would. I had a lot of fun with that one. You guys are great to work with. So did the drums for the second one. After four, he said, uh, what do you think about just being in the band? <laughs> I said, sure, I would love to. It's an honor to work with these guys. So I am now the recording drummer for their ninth album, we are about six songs in so far, and it is shaping up to be something really, really good. Don't have a release date. Uh, we're still writing, so not sure when that'll be out. But of course, I will keep you guys posted. Uh, the band is, is made of some really amazing and talented, really creative musicians, people that can communicate, which is to me one of the most important things, almost more important than the talent. Uh, but but we've done really, really well so far in that department, and that's been the best part of it for me. Uh, so Jerry Fielden is the primary writer, the guitarist. He also plays mandolin and does some backing vocals. We have Michelle McPherson, who is the lead vocalist. On bass, we have Jean Audette, who also does backing vocals. And then on violin, viola, and backing vocals, we have Gwendolyn Kresnicki. And it looks like she's using the same series of microphone I record the podcast on to record her violin. That's pretty cool. It's an Audio-Technica, and uh, that's probably the 20... Uh, I'm not sure which one it is, but anyway. Uh, yeah, same I, same series. I use the AT3035 to do the podcast and my other podcast and most other things. Uh, on additional backing vocals and member in training, we have Jillian McPherson Briggs. Sweet young lady. Her brother Gillen was on the uh, last album. And he is named after, of course, Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. And then last but not least, we have David Stone on keyboards. 
uh, had great interview with David. We're still trying to find some time to connect to uh, do the second part of our interview. God, the guy's just got such a history and he's so passionate. I, I really love talking to him, but even more, I love working with him. Now, David had played for the, ba the band Rainbow on the Long Live Rock and Roll album. And if you'd like to hear more about that, check out the interview I did with David Stone. But I've been listening to this guy for most of my life. So to be in a band with him, to be in a band with all these guys really is, uh, is a pretty big deal for me. I'm really honored that they're enjoying the things that I'm writing and hope that I continue to write in a way that pleases them. Uh, apart from that, the only other thing I wanted to let you guys know about is my next album, The Forgotten Puppet Show, uh, is being picked away at little by little now that I've joined the band, plus the five podcasts a week. Um, there's, there's only so much time to delegate, but I have released the first single, it's uh, it's a slightly rough mix. It's fairly close to what the final will be on the album, but that is on my website at scotthaskin.com. Just scroll down on the main page and you'll see the link for Try Again. Uh, additional or the guitars, additional keyboard and the Moog synthesizer were provided by Dave White, who is the social media manager for Uriah Heap and a good friend of mine. He really has been uh, just so helpful since I started the Uriah Heat podcast. So thank you, Dave. Uh, absolutely amazing job on the song. I, I'm so proud of it. Uh, I was so proud of it anyway, but after what you've done to it, I'll never be able to listen to my version the same way. So that's everything from me here, guys. Uh, I I just am so excited to bring Gabrielle on the show. So grateful that she took time out of her incredibly crazy schedule to talk about her new book, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. Let's talk to Gabrielle. But you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, Gabrielle Stone, that is such a powerful name, isn't it? I mean, that's like a really powerful name. I like that. It should only be spoken by wizards. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am really excited to have our returning guest on today. She is back with her new book, and it's, you know, man, just check it out. That's, that's all I could say. We're going to get into all the details about it. But first, I, I just have to gripe for a second. I don't spend a lot of time on social media. You guys know that, but... I, I find it really annoying when I do go on social media. I like when people post like, oh, here's this great job that this barista did on the design on, on my coffee cup. And uh, and I'm like, wow, that's really good. And then they have 32 more pictures of, oh, look what happened after I took a sip and look what happened after I moved my spoon. Like it drives me nuts. The the contrary to that is our guest today, when I go and see what she's up to, which is always something, um, she's like really become a queen of social media. But if she goes an hour without posting something, I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Something had to have happened in the last hour. I have to know what it is. Like, I'm completely obsessed with following her journey because it's just amazing. Let's welcome her to the show. She is the author, author of not only Eat, Pray, hashtag FML, but she is the author of her newest book, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, Gabrielle Stone. Gabrielle, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for that beautiful intro. I so do not consider myself a queen of social media, but I will take that compliment. <laughs> well, you're so you're so good at it because your posts are interesting. They're not like, oh, here's 30 pictures of me just slightly turned different ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try. I try to uh, to show up authentically um, if I'm having bad days and if I'm having great days, I try and show up uh accordingly and let people kind of take a peek into my life and me. Um, and I, you know, I have a love hate relationship with it. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse in different ways. Do you, do you find that you spend a lot of time looking at social media or are you one of those people like me who just like you post your stuff and you go? Um, 
I think I'm kind of in between. Uh, I do like to, you know, keep up with, uh, I have a lot of friends that live out of state. So I like to keep up with people in that sense. Um, if there's any app that I spend the most time on, unfortunately, it's TikTok because that's where most of my viral videos have, have really gone and in turn sell thousands and thousands of books. So you kind of need to keep up on what trends are happening on that app. Um, and there's just really funny, entertaining content. <laughs> I, I'm not on TikTok is one of the only ones I'm not on yet because I don't think that people want to see me per se. I don't think I'm interesting. I think the things I do are interesting, but I can't get myself to take pictures and video of me very often. That's a really hard one for me. You seem to be very natural at it. I mean, I fought tooth and nail getting on TikTok, but lo and behold, it has been the biggest you know, moneymaker as far as social media apps go for me and has sold the most books, but it definitely takes a while to get comfortable with. I had a little bit of a head start though, from being an actress. So you, I I get what you're saying. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, that's different because you're used to being filmed. You're used to seeing your, you know, your dailies and your scenes when the films come out editing, obviously. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure that that's probably something that you're far more comfortable with than I am as a composer and podcaster who does audio, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, but, but I love that you're, you're so, uh, honest, like you said, you know, if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day and everybody has them. Let's not hide it and pretend we're somebody else. I think that's a big part of the key to the success of your books because you, we know we're, we're getting the real deal. Yeah. And I, I, I work really hard at doing that. And it it started back when I was going on my eat, pray, FML trip. And I took a picture of myself at the airport with my backpack on and kind of for the first time announced that I was going on this trip and that I was getting divorced and I had not opened up about any of that publicly. And I thought I was going to post this picture and then kind of get off social media for the rest of the trip. And I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages and people saying, you know, that this totally changed the way that I was feeling or this totally gave me, you know, hope for what was going on in my life. Please keep sharing your journey. And so I did. I I kept posting throughout my trip and there were days where I was like, look, guys, I'm heartbroken and crying and want to crawl into a hole. And there were days where I was out partying, you know, living my best life across Europe. And I'm so glad that I ended up doing that because it gave me this comfortability showing up in a vulnerable way. But it also, you know, kind of created this picture book of what people read when they read Eat, Pray, FML. So every day now I have all of those Europe pictures being liked by people. And I'm like, oh, look, they're reading and following along. (laughs) It's been amazing to see the people that have posted pictures of themselves with your book and you know, just commenting on how you've positively affected their lives. I mean, you've really created an amazing community of it's okay to go through bad things. We're going to get through it and we're going to support each other. And that's how it's going to work. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind these last two years. You know, it obviously started with Eat for FML. And then when COVID happened, my friend convinced me to do a podcast, which People have been asking me to do since the book came out. And I always said, I don't want to do a podcast. Everybody has a podcast. What am I going to talk about? And, you know, I thought that a couple thousand maybe people from my my reading community would come over and, you know, it would do okay. 
And it's totally blown past anything that I could have imagined. We have people that find the podcast that haven't even read the book. And it's created this this incredible community of people and that I now am connected with all over the world. And that's been really, really special to watch. Well, I think everybody wants a safe zone where they can tell their story and know that they're not going to get judged for it. You know, people, you know, you might say, oh, I wouldn't have done this or I can see why you did that. But everybody knows that they can come on or write your le- a letter to your show. And when you read it or you play an audio clip, it's a safe place to tell that story. You're not going to berate them for making mistakes. Um, we've all made them. But I think that's what people really need is a comfortable place to talk. Yeah, I agree. And I think that everybody needs and wants to heal stuff. And FML Talk gives them a space to feel safe to do that, but also in a fun way and not a self-helpy way. Yeah, it's a, it's such a relaxed environment on your show where it's, it's like, this is what I feel when I listen to um, your podcast. It's, I feel like I should just have a margarita. I should be laying on the floor or on the couch, just hanging out and chatting like it's very relaxed and comfortable that's exactly how it's supposed to be so i'm so glad to hear that (laughs) yeah that's definitely the the feeling that i get i have another friend who has a podcast and he's a jazz musician and when i listen to his intro and in his voice i feel like i should just be like you know in a coffee house there's something about the way a show is presented that just brings out that right feeling and you've nailed it oh thank you so much i'm so happy to hear that well, I want to ask you now the difference between Eat, Pray, FML and your new book, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, is that when you wrote the first book, you were writing it on your journey. This book, if I understood right, you actually just kind of sat down and wrote it. Yeah. So Eat, Pray, FML, I started the day I left on my trip and wrote the majority of it, three fourths of it in my journal on my Europe trip. So I wrote the entire book finished it in three months. And since I released it, everyone, and I say this lovingly, has been berating me about when is there going to be a sequel? (laughs) We need to like have answers as to what happened. Like we need to know. And everybody became very invested in the story and my life and the characters within that. Um, So I always knew that there was going to eventually probably be a sequel, but I didn't know what it was because I was still living it. So I started writing it um, in, God, probably October of 2019 um, and really got serious about it when I went on my Asia solo trip. And it was a totally different experience writing The Ridiculous Misadventures because it it spans over so much more time. So Eat, Pray, FML, if you can believe it, happens over three and a half months of my life. The Ridiculous Misadventures happens over the span of two years. So not only was I writing about much more of my life and so much more that happened during that time, um, it was also, you know, going back and and drudging certain things up and having to remember certain things and picking and choosing what to include in the book to, to serve the story. And it was a lot more emotional for me this time around it was more difficult for me to write because there were things that I had to own up to and be honest about and share that I wasn't necessarily proud of. So it was an interesting lesson and uh, experience for me to write this second book. 
and you had more time to think about it instead of just because you were writing as you went before, you had more time to like isolate and then overthink and overthink again. And yeah, and I, I wrote it out of order and it was I wasn't really on a deadline and it just it was a totally different experience. The first one was kind of being written as it was happening. So it was like therapy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But the second one was just kind of all over the place. And it wasn't until I got really serious about like, okay, I want to get this book out this year, that it became a lot heavier, because I would have to really sit down and like go there. And it, it was a lot. It was a, definitely an emotional roller coaster for me. How are you feeling now? Have you kind of just let it all out and let go of it? Or you're going to have to relive it through things like this podcast? Yeah, but talking about it is a little different than going back and doing edit passes and doing the audiobook. book. Um, Eat, Pray, I can read anytime. Like I've been on road trips where my girlfriends wanted to put the audiobook on and I can like laugh along and I, I think it's fine and great. Um, this book is not that for me. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it's definitely heavier. I mean, of course there's moments in different parts of it that like I love and laugh, but it, it definitely feels different, but I had a lot of fear around releasing the second book. Um, I had a lot of fear of judgment and that certain things weren't going to be received necessarily. Well, I remember one edit pass I did, which this is kind of indicative of writers to beat themselves up. I was like, what am I even doing? Like, this is, this is garbage. Like why this doesn't even hold a candle to the first book. Like, why am I going to put this out? And within, within the first week I had people who had read it in 24 hours and were like this far surpassed Eat, Pray, FML. I connected with this on such a deep level. I feel like I just went to five years of therapy. And all the things that I was afraid of judgment on were the things that people have connected with the most. <laughs> That's really interesting. Well, yeah, that is a different pressure because now you've had a certain element of success. You've had, you've, uh, you know, started a fan base based on the first book. So the second book, there's a whole different uh, level of pressure and expectation now. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have the, the bad reviews on Eat, Pray, FML are, you know, 5% compared to an incredibly strong 90%. Um, and the, the messages and those amazing reviews that I get far outweigh those, that small percentage of negative ones. But of course, when you read those and see those, that's going to get into your head. So, you know, writing the second one, I was like, oh, you know, don't say this because that, you know, strikes a chord weird with people or, oh, you know, people might be annoyed with this. And at, at, eventually I just had to like let all of that go. And I found solace in the fact that, well, the people that hated Eat, Pray, FML probably aren't reading the second one. <laughs> so at least <laughs> yeah. the ones, at least the ones that are reading my second one are, you know, have been affected by the first one in such a great way that they're kind of already in my corner. Um, right. But the response thus far, and it's only been out for uh, two weeks now, has far exceeded my expectations. Well, I think too, and, and I didn't realize this until another author explained it to me, because I've got a couple of negative reviews on my books too. And uh, an author explained to me, it's actually good if you have at least some negative reviews. Otherwise, it looks like you just asked your friends, right? you know, to right. like it, it helps balance out and it shows that these are real reviews. Totally. And uh, honestly, at the end of the day, art is subjective and you're always going to have, you know, there's people that hate Oscar winning films, you know, and think it's 
giant pieces of trash. Um, you can go on to famous, famous books of like Hemingway and like Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, and people are trashing them like it is the biggest piece of garbage they've ever read. Um, so it, it, A, art is subjective, and B, you know, I wrote Eat, Pray, FML in a certain style. Could I have sat down and written some beautiful poetic sentences that I strung together eloquently? Yes, of course, but that's not this book. I wanted people to sit down and feel like they were watching a crazy Netflix show while having gla a glass of wine with their girlfriend. Right. And I think that that's why people connected with it so much. Yeah, I, I think if, it, if you tried to be artistic, it, it wouldn't come off as natural. And this needs to be something that's just, here's what happens straight from the heart. No bullshit. Totally. Um, but I, I do, I wish, I guess the thing for me is when it comes to the negative reviews, I just wish they would be more constructive, like giving something a one star rating and just saying, I didn't like it. Yeah. Oh, no. The people the people that hate you pray FML, there's paragraph reviews <laughs> of like, you know, that I'm some rich white snob that thinks I'm famous. And, you know, all I talk about is men. And it's like, you know, completely you can tell that the people that are leaving these reviews totally have missed the point, totally have missed my heart. Um, you know, in so many different aspects and probably haven't been in love or have their heart broken. You know what I mean? Or probably are, are cheating on their wives with 18 year old oh, right, secretaries. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's I've learned to to shrug them off and I I don't read them anymore. There's no point. Um, I recently just had to go on and grab one for a podcast episode that I was doing and reading it was almost comical for me. Um, so I feel like I've gotten to a point where it's just like, when so much of the good outweighs it, you know, and the messages I get daily from people around the world saying, I left my abusive relationship because of your book. You saved my life. You saved my marriage. This book like totally taught me how to love myself. It changed everything for me. It's like, okay, of course, people are going to have negative feelings about it, but it's so freaking worth it. Yeah. And there is nothing better than finding out that something that you just did naturally has had a positive impact on someone's life like that. I mean, when somebody writes me and they say, I didn't kill myself because of your music, because it, it brought me out of whatever I was going through. There is nothing better in the world than that. And that is something that no level of success will ever touch. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, success aside, like your your heart just feeling that fulfillment is it's been the best thing I've ever done. And it's, it's been so rewarding to see what was arguably the worst year of my life personally now become my mission and my, my career and so fulfilling on such a spiritual level as well. Absolutely. And, you know, on a, a recent episode of FML talk, your podcast, which I'm going to tell everybody go listen to this podcast. It is one of the <laughs> best ones out there, honestly. Aww. I mean, I'm not saying that because I know you. I'm saying that because I really love listening to that show. Oh, thank you. I, I feel like so many shows just aren't honest. They're guarded. They're, you know, we better not say this because it'll piss off our fans or whatever. It, it just right. seems like this is the raw honesty that we need. But on a recent episode, you had your current boyfriend on and your best friend, and you guys really dug into some stuff without giving anything away in the book. Yeah, I, I thought that was your best episode yet. Oh, thank you. I actually heard that from some of my listeners, too. And you know what? It's so funny because we produce 
these episodes where, you know, especially in season three, because we're going to YouTube where we're in the studio and, you know, there's cameras and it's a whole thing. And that episode was me and my boyfriend and my best friend sitting in my little office. You know, Tay and I were sharing a microphone <laughs> and um, and it was it was great. It, it was so relaxed and it didn't feel performative like, you know, like I was hosting anything. It just felt like a conversation. So I'm so happy to hear that. You know, what I pictured, though, when I was listening to that was you guys just kind of lounging around on the floor, each with a wine glass on your coffee table, sitting by the fire. <laughs> that makes no sense because it's still summer. Right. Uh, you know, that's just kind of the vision that I always have for your show, though. Oh, I love that. But the weirdest thing about it, and it's going to change, obviously, when you go to video, but I don't know why I have no explanation for this, but every female guest that you have on, I picture Kristen Ritter is your guest, and I don't know why. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah, it's been interesting, you know, because I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews and podcast interviews where I'm the guest being interviewed. So now to switch that and have to run the interview and come up with things to say and have this, you know, um, intriguing dialogue. It's, it's a whole, you think it would be awfully similar and it's totally different. Yeah. I, when I'm a guest on a show, it's a whole different world than being a host. And I, yeah. I've gotten used to being a host and you're very good at it. Oh, thank you. It, it does take an adjustment. Totally. I mean, the first the first few episodes we recorded, which were solo episodes, I looked at Jackie and was like, we can't do this. Like, I'm terrible. You're going to have to every every three sentences I was messing up. I was like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, it was it was a struggle. Well, and you also have a merch store with some really you're just always inventing new stuff, which I love. I've got the link to your uh, website, to the book, all that. And uh, just as of a few minutes ago, Gabrielle told me before we started that the audiobook is now available. So we're recording this on Tuesday as the show comes out on Saturday. You guys can grab the audiobook from Audible. Uh, that should be on the Amazon site as well. Yeah, it's on Amazon and Audible. It'll be on iTunes as well. Um, and so I, I narrate both of them, Eat, Pray, FML and The Ridiculous Misadventures. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you chose to do that. It's always better when the person that writes the story... If it's, oh, totally. if it's nonfiction, it's always better. Like I, I know Danielle Fischel from uh, Boy Meets World when she wrote her book, there's no audio book. And so, mm. I, you know, I thought, but don't hire a third party reader to do it. Like you should be telling your own story. Well, yeah, especially if you're an actress or anyone that's comfortable in, you know, talking or performing. Um, and when I went in to do the first audio book, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I don't know if there's an art to this or if there's rules to this. Um, I had no guidance. It was just me and my engineer. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it how I do everything. I'm going to be authentic. So I'm going to not act it. I'm going to feel it and relive it. So there's parts where you'll hear my voice crack. um, And there's parts where I'll start laughing. And it's very much like me talking to you, telling the story. That's exactly how I felt when I listened to it. I felt like we were just sitting at a table and you were just laying it all out. Oh, I love that. Yay. It, was, it was very relaxed. It didn't feel like you were just narrating your book. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it should be. Um, I, I'm wondering what your thoughts on, on this are now, because you've got you know so much that you've dealt with over the last few years. What is it about love or infatuation that just makes us stupid? Oh, God, if I had that answer, my life would be a lot different. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying I never snorted beer through a straw to impress a girl at a Halloween party. <laughs> it didn't work. But uh, I but, love it. I mean, but, but why do we just turn just 
like completely against our normal values because we just have feelings. I think, you know, and there's like science behind all this, that there's a chemical that releases within us when we feel that love feeling and it becomes like a drug. And when we feel that drug, we put these freaking love goggles on and until those come off, it doesn't matter who is telling you about the red flags or the fact that they're flying in front of your goddamn face. It's like, you won't see it until you choose to take those goggles off and step back. And it, there's no rhyme or reason for me. I I think that sometimes the person that you're in a relationship with or in whatever type of situationship with is filling some type of void that you needed filled. And until you fill that on your own, you're never going to be able to have a healthy dynamic. So I think there's a laundry list of reasons as to why we get trapped into those toxic situations. Do you think that men do it more than women, though? Um, no, I, th- I, I don't know if it's a if it's a gender thing necessarily. I think it's a broken human thing. You know what I mean? I, I think that it just depends on our past and what we've been through and what we're trying to heal consciously or subconsciously. Very good. Very good point. One thing that your recent podcast brought up as a question for me, and I'm not sure if you're going to want to go into this or not, so feel free to tell me no. Um, But you were talking about, you know, thought onions, and I was thinking about blocks and things that we have in our lives. And you were talking about this on the show. And I, I was thinking, why do we need to understand why a block is there versus just understanding it is and that we need to remove it? Can we not remove it without that understanding? No, I mean, I think that getting to the root and the subconscious beliefs or blocks, um, sometimes knowing that they exist and what they are is enough to acknowledge it to then start to let it go. But if we're, you know, if you think about it, like if you're walking around life and someone is subconsciously driving the car inside of you, you keep turning right and crashing and you're like, why the hell do I keep turning right? I really want to go left. It would be really great if I could just go left. When you get to that subconscious block and realize what it is and begin to adjust and heal it, then you take the the reins back and you can then turn the car left because there's not something that you're unaware of that's making you continuously turn and crash right. Hmm. That's a great point. It's, it's, it's really about, you know, like if I would have walked through my entire life not knowing about my fear of abandonment, I would have continuously attracted things that brought that up in me and examples that made me have that thrown in my face, which is not fun and not comfortable and not what I want to be creating and attracting in my life. But when you can realize what it is that needs to be addressed and healed, then you start attracting different stuff into your life. Interesting. Well, let me, let me ask you about abandonment because I, you know, I know enough about you to know, I think that comes from your father passing away when you were so young. Yes. Is there, is there a difference in us knowing that it wasn't that it was a conscious choice? It was something that happened in life versus somebody who just leaves their kid without, you know, like, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Good luck in life. Um, I think it can it can instill different things. You know, I, I know people that have fear of abandonment because their parent, one of their parents walked out on them and chose to leave or there was a divorce and they left. Um, 
I don't think necessarily it leaves anything different from you because, you know, obviously I can consciously say my dad didn't choose to die. He didn't choose to, you know, go when I was young. He didn't choose for me to be the one that found him, but it did happen. So he did leave whether he wanted to or not. Um, so my little seven year old self was like, I love when I love people, they die. And now I'm afraid to be alone. Um, so that belief still gets instilled in you regardless of whether it was a choice or something that just happens or a freak accident. Um, it's really about the sense memory and the, the belief that gets instilled in you when it happens. Right. And, and just because something that was so meaningful to you, obviously your father, um, that that just kind of carries over to other aspects in life, I would imagine, jobs, relationships, friends, cars, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it literally becomes the driving force of things that you have to deal with in your life. One thing that I, I was really curious about, because on, on the last episode of your show, now there will have been another episode by the time this podcast airs, but on, on the second uh, edition of your announcement of your book coming out, your boyfriend was talking about some things that made him uncomfortable reading in the book, which is, you know, your your sexual escapades. I, I'm, I find it interesting that men get so hung up on what women have done in their past versus who they've done it with, whereas women seem to be more concerned with who the men have been with as opposed to what they've done. Mm, interesting. Well, I think for my situation specifically, you know, people have to remember that these weren't just random characters that he was reading about. Like he had, you know, a lot of anger towards Javier from, you know, just reading Eat, Pray, FML and how I was treated and the things that I went through and watching me try and recover from that when I came home up into the fact that, you know, there was a lot of back and forth um, that, that people read about in the ridiculous misadventures. So it's not like he's reading about some random guy that I hooked up with and he's pissed off about that. It is the who it's the, it was that person that came back into the picture, which, you know, is, it's difficult for, for any person to read. I mean, I don't know how, you know, no other man would be able to listen to their significant other talk about their exes 24 seven every single day. Um, <laughs> True. He's, he, he is a rare breed. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful and lucky to have someone that's so supportive and can see what I'm creating and what it's doing for people and, and really be my champion behind that. Well, I love the fact though, that you still went ahead and said, this needs to be in the book and I'm putting it in here you know, uh, knowing that that would have to be an issue that he would have to deal with. I love that you were true to the book and, and said, this is what the audience needs to know. Yeah. I mean, he knew everything that was going to be in there. Um, we're very honest with each other. So we've had lots and lots of conversations over the two years that we've been on and off. So he knew everything that he was going to be reading, but that's obviously di different than reading the details about everything. Sure. Um, and yeah, it, I think that's why it was hard for me to write that second book, because I knew that I had to do, you know, a certain job to bring justice to my readers and myself and bring closure to everyone and do the job that I set out to do. Um, and that that might hurt people along the way. And one of those people happens to be someone I care about very, very deeply and never want to hurt. So it was very 
tough for me to uh, walk that line. But I decided when I when I committed to writing the sequel that I wasn't going to not include anything in fear of other people. So but even for yourself, was there a line that you said, "Okay, I'm not I'm not doing this or I'm not going to talk about that. It's not it's real, but it's not relevant enough or people don't need to know that. Was there anything that you kind of protected? Uh, not protected. There were things that didn't make the final cut because it's even now published. It's 100 pages longer than Eat for FML. And that wow. was after I cut 50,000 words from it. <laughs> Which is a um, lot. Yeah, I submitted to my editor and she's like, Gabrielle, you're not J.K. Rowling. Like, what is this? <laughs> uh, because it was two years of my life and like I was so close to it that I couldn't see what to cut. Um, so nothing that was important, embarrassing, you know, heavy, none of that got cut. Um, but things did get cut because there just wasn't enough room to write about all of them. But I'm sure all of that will end up on the podcast at some point. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's great because you still have another avenue to discuss things and, and take things that people might have misunderstood or whatever and, and have a forum to be able to clarify and, and help make people understand. Yeah, exactly. Just the last couple of questions for you. Um, I know that a lot of friends of mine who are authors it hasn't really happened to me as far as I know, but people get really cautious and guarded around authors because they're afraid that they're going to end up as a story in their book. Right. Has, has there been anyone that you felt has done that with you? Um, not openly. I know that Javier now feels that way. <laughs> well, I can't uh, imagine why. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tay, my boyfriend now, he and he I think he joked about it on his episode of the podcast. He was like, I knew getting into this that I was ending up in a book and it's really <laughs> more of like a heed the warning like don't mess up Tay <laughs> um but you know like I I never write anything that's not true I I never I always try and come from a place of like this is the facts and these are my opinions on it um not trying to sway people into having certain feelings about a certain character. I let them decide that on their own. I know when Javier read Eat, Pray, FML, I flat out asked him, I was like, is there anything that I wrote that you remember differently? And he was like, no, everything verbatim was exactly how it went down. Um, and I, I try really hard to, to hold that, you know, to hold that true for anything that I write. But I mean, yeah, that I'm sure people feel that way. Um, but I also anyone I met on my trip or my travels, I was open and, and told them that um, on both occasions. So there were few people that ended up in the book who had no idea that they would be or that I was writing about it. Um, but of course, I called and like gave them heads up and um, anyone that has text messages included in either of the books had to sign a permission form. So everyone's aware. That's fair. And I, I can certainly respect and appreciate you doing that. I, I very much try to do things on the level, you know, uh, it, it's it's the best thing that you can do for not only for your own future, but for everyone involved. Yeah. And, you know, I, I changed all the names uh, there. I have people, the hardcore readers that are just insane detectives and relentless. Um, so I know people have found out identities of certain characters, but I have never and will never publicly confirm that um, or deny that because it's not my job to, you know, they're, they're characters in my story as far as I'm concerned. And really, at the end of the day, the book isn't about the men. No, no, not at all. 
but but I appreciate the way that you approach it. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work for the best because there's a certain version of a Lionel Richie song that I did that no one will ever hear because Lionel said no. You're right. But <laughs> I'm not bitter. Right. <laughs> but, but if you do things the right way, you can go to sleep at night and know that you've done what you can to, to treat people the right way, regardless of how they've treated you. And I and I really applaud that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I have worked very hard to make sure I have maintained my uh, integrity and authenticity throughout this entire process. I, and I think you've done a great job with that. So my last question for you is, or really more of a request, I think. On your last podcast episode, you talked about not doing a third book. Mm-hmm. And I can understand, you know, you don't want to sit down and journal every part of your life. You know, you've You've experienced a lot of stuff. You shared it with a lot of people. Now it's time to just live your life. I would love to see you do a third book, but what I would love for that book to be is something more like, here's what went right, or here's how it all panned out. Well, you'll have to let me know how you feel about that after you finish the second book. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Because I do feel that the second book gives a very complete um, closure, if you will. Um, of course I have those readers that finished the first book in 20 or the second book in 24 hours and are like, when's the third? Um, (laughs) but it's, you know, if there is going to be a third, it definitely hasn't been written yet. Um, so it, I don't know right now, the thought of sitting down to write again makes me want to vomit. So I, I will have to revisit it when I am in a better headspace and after the second one has been out for a while. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you've got to experience things for there to be something to write about, too. But yeah, I just think that there's going to be things that we will. And, and like you said, I, ha- I have to finish the second book first. But I think there are things that are going to be very unique to you that will apply to a lot of people not that exact situation, but I think there's going to be things that we'll be able to take from that and better our lives even more. So I, I would just say maybe keep that in the back of your head. I will do that. I will put it I will put it in the back and, and revisit it at a later date. <laughs> Excellent. Well, everybody go out and grab a copy of The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. It's I, I haven't finished it, but it's it, I can just tell you go read it, <laughs> especially if you were a fan of Eat, Pray, FML. Uh, it's available on Amazon right now in uh, physical form, and you can also get the audiobook from Amazon or Audible. I've got links to the podcast, to her website, to her social media, all of that great stuff is just available right there. So Gabrielle, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really applaud you for having the guts to be so open and honest with the world and really put yourself out there, especially in a time where people just want to ridicule and you've created a community that is the exact opposite of that. And that is really what we've been desperately needing. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for that. And thank you for always having me on. It's always a joy to talk to you. So I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Will you take care? Best of luck with the book and come visit us again. We've got 110 episodes to go before this podcast is done. So there's Oh my God, I love it. Congratulations. I would come back anytime. Yay. I'm taking you up on that. (laughs) Take care, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You know, if you guys are out there thinking that this book is just for women, let me assure you that it is not. There are a lot of things that men can learn from books like this. First of all, that it's okay to have and express your feelings. 
and also things like don't be a dick. Your life will be a lot easier if you're just not a dick. So I'm so grateful to spend some time with Gabrielle. As you can hear, she's just such a lovely, energetic person. She really goes out and just experiences life. I love that she shares it with people. I love the community that she's built because we really need people to come together for good things, for problem solving instead of problem creating. And she is making the world a much better place. Thank you, Gabrielle. We'll see you guys next week or uh, on Wednesday. Have a great weekend, guys. Cheers. Cheers.